Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, please. Jeff asked if I would share a message regarding missions and maybe a message from the Word which would explain perhaps why we would think about taking on steps that we're taking on. And there's not, uh, any believer for any length of time understands there's not a single scripture, perhaps, that's not drilled into your heart over and over. It's, uh, this is one that, it, that I chose because of uh, his most re- recent speaking into my heart. But it's certainly not the first time I've read this scripture. But we all know there are multiple scriptures at any given time in our life that the the Holy Spirit will impress upon us and move our steps, direct the path of our life in one way or another. So that's what this message is for today. Um, And we'll get to reading it in just a moment, but I do hope that everybody will be examining it with me and not just rely on on the board up behind us. Uh, A bit of context is important. You very well may be familiar with 2 Peter, but uh, this particular message, uh, if I had to choose a title, I would choose what a salvation and what a savior. Uh, And then the four points that I have from it will explain why. Why is this such a salvation? Why is he such a savior? Uh, But for context purposes, we need to understand this is expected to be the last letter Peter wrote. He, he mentions in verse 14 that he was preparing for his death. It was likely written from Rome where he was said to be in prison. And it was written to fellow believers who were dealing with several issues that he felt impressed enough uh, and that it was important to pen this letter. Some of those issues that he was dealing with were people, frankly, that were questioning God, questioning the the completed work of Christ, such as denying his saving work and denying Christ's second coming. These believers that he's addressing, they needed continued encouragement, and they needed help remembering what truths were so they could separate false teachings they were hearing and the lifestyles that they were getting pushed their way from these false teachings and the dangers of those doctrines they needed reminding and frankly if you just look in uh, look with me in chapter one alone before we even get to the scripture just in chapter one there's five mentions of encouragements and reminders to these believers and i'll name them by verse and we'll only read those verse five for this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith And then he makes a list of things that believers are, make every effort to supplement your faith with these. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. That's the things above that list. Verse 12, therefore, I always want to remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth. You see his pattern, his writing, it's imperative that he continues to drill these truths on. Verse 13, I consider it right as long as I am in this bodily tent 
to wake you up with a reminder. I won't complete that verse. You get the point. In verse 19. So we have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. You will do well to pay attention to it. Those are all just in one chapter. Very strong reminders to these believers. This is part of who he's addressing. That he really wants them to get this. He's reminding these believers of truths regarding the persons of Christ. The very truths that false teachers are trying to hit them on the opposite with. The very truths regarding their salvation. And God's actual word to them. Might believers still need reminded of these things today? You bet we do. Are we still hearing teachings? And are we influenced by a society that's contrary to the word of God and to the work of Christ? It's everywhere, isn't it? Might it be something that influences our thinking processes and the way we think about our God and the way God really is? You bet. We have an enemy and we have a world and we have cultures that do not want to accept Christ for who he is and God for exactly who he is. So for our sake, our generation and the sake of our faith and for the sake of the generations coming behind us who we're definitely supposed to be imparting our faith to, we too need to have these truths reminded of us and drilled deeper into us. Let's read now together, 2 Peter 1 through 4, if we could. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Before we go any further, I'd like to pause and pray now. Lord, as we look at your word in depth, we ask your help, Holy Spirit, that we would interpret it rightly, that we would receive it rightly, that we would hear what you have to speak to us regarding yourself. We praise you for who you are. We thank you for your revealed word to us. We thank you for all that it contains. And would you enlighten us to even more of that today? May we be reminded of of old truths and may you speak to us new truths and continue to grow us deeper in our relationship with you in jesus name amen first off let's start with verse one you have his letter written to those to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing a couple notes about that where it where it mentions equal standing your translations may have words such as equal privilege or equally precious. And equally precious is exactly where Peter is landing there. He's relating to people who are 
What do I point this at then? Vex. I pointed at Vex. <laughs> he's, he's speaking and writing this letter to people who are in these regions. You see on your right, we know this area is modern-day Turkey. But it's said to be the same believers that First Peter was written to, and those are listed. And those are the regions you see up there. Those letters were going to persons in churches in those areas. And he's speaking specifically to those, he identified them, those who have obtained a faith of equal standing or one that is equally precious to ours, to mine. We understand the preciousness of that faith that we've, that we've equally obtained. They were Gentile and Jewish believers. By this time, the gospel had been getting through Jewish believers into Gentiles. So there's a mixture of both. These are people that had been what was called temporary residents. They were not choosing to first live here. They were scattered. Persecution had been common. And they were living here for a period of time. And they, they needed this kind of encouragement. They needed these truths. One other key word, not key word, key truth, is the fact that their faith was obtained through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. It's important to note that that is the only way by which we're going to obtain faith, and that is through God and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He was bringing that point home to him and reminding them, we have this in common. We all know this is us. Another key word. Those who have obtained a faith of equal standing and equal privilege of, as ours. That the original language there where it's talking about have obtained a faith uses the language to obtain by lot. You, you, you like I, obtained your faith by lot. What did that mean? A divine faith. Faith was allotted to you. Not only the measure or amount of faith, but faith that you had in Christ at all was allotted to you. What, what was obtaining by lot? What does that mean? Well, let me le read a little bit of history in case we don't know that. The practice of casting lots in the Old Testament was common that it was a, a method by which people were said to be able to determine God's will by casting lots in various forms. It's mentioned 70 times in the Old Testament and seven times in the New. The practice of casting lots occurs most often in connection with the division of the land under Joshua. It's a procedure where God instructed the Israelites on several times in the book of Numbers. He allowed Israelites to cast lots in order to determine his will in a given situation. In Joshua, various offices and functions in the temple were also determined by lot in First Chronicles. In Jonah, the sailors on Jonah's ship determined who brought God's wrath on their ship. The 11 apostles cast lots to determine who would replace Judas in Acts. Lots became a game. It became something that was mocked and joked about. In fact, you see at the time when Jesus was dying, the Roman soldiers casting lots for Jesus' garments in Matthew 27. 
the point of what Peter was saying to these believers, what he was identifying with these specific people, you know like I know that through the righteousness of Christ, at some point in time, he called your lot. Your faith, was you were called. You were per, it was personal with you and, we were, you and he, that we are all speaking on the same wavelength. They understood what Peter was saying. They came to faith because Christ called them to himself. These believers knew they were distances apart. I showed you on the map. They were distances apart from Peter. They were undergoing difficulties. Their life wasn't easy. Peter was going to die. False teachings were abounding, and they were not popular with society. Peter used this first item in his letter to introduce and to, to encourage them and reminding them of the source of their faith. He's, rem so he's reminding us today to remember our divine faith. Remember, he called our lot. He called us by name through the righteousness of God himself. It is personal to God and is personal to us. And he's reaching out to them in a very real and personal way. That's why he calls it an equally precious faith. That he means something by those words. There would be others that might see that letter that Peter would not be addressing. He wouldn't be addressing false teachers. He wouldn't be addressing persons in the church that weren't actually believers. He wouldn't be, you know, if there's false teaching infiltrating one way or the other, he's, he's identifying, and they know this difference. These truths, this finished work of Christ, Christ himself will always be argued, but we as believers will always identify with one another as some point in time, Christ made himself known to us, and we responded. We responded and recognized who he is. This divine faith is a vital connector for us. Remember this, that Peter knew Jesus Christ personally when he was in human body. He knew him. Peter had experiences with him. Some, Peter failed miserably. But he had experiences. Peter's first call by Christ was very personal. It was audible. He was called to follow. Later in Peter's life, he was later called deeper into that process of being made a fisher of men. And he learned fully why that original call came along. Peter had a busy life. He had hard work. He had things going on before that call. But Peter knew at an appointed time in his life, like with you other believers, I'm identifying, God made himself known to me. He made known himself to you. And we have this faith in common. Peter was reminding these believers the fact that it's amazing at all that we were called. It's, it's amazing at all that we were allotted faith in him. That cannot waver in us, fellow believers. That, that cannot waver. Don't let this false teaching influence you. This cannot waver in us. I have other scriptures, such as Philippians 3.12. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken hold of by Christ. You see another author identifying the fact that he too recognizes he was taken hold of by Christ. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you 
and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. This is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You know, in, in today's society, we're, we are now the people of, well, we, we well passed long ago. Well, if they get me something, I'll just return it. You remember those days? We all, you didn't say anything. You just go return it and hope they never notice when it comes to a gift. Now, when it comes to a gift in society, we're, we're the type that just says, just go on my gift registry, pick one of those things, and I'll know which ones you got. It, it's all dictated and expected. You know, we're getting to that point now. Simplicity. This is not the kind of gift that's talking about. This is talking about the kind of gift from God, not as a result of any of man's works. You brought nothing to the table type of gift. You had no idea you were even getting one. Though I did mention in the Old Testament that I was going to be doing certain things and the Messiah was coming, you were clueless as to what all I'm doing here, okay? And here's the gift type. That's what Ephesians is talking about. And then Matthew eleven twenty seven: all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. After identifying and connecting with these recipients of this letter, he then says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Key word, knowledge. There's three chapters in 2 Peter. Knowledge or related words to knowledge are mentioned 13 times. And we all know if you see a word mentioned a lot of times in your Bible study, you need to heed it. It's there for a reason. Knowledge is there for that reason. Peter is pointing to these believers and us today to the fact that grace and peace will be multiplied to them and to us through the true knowledge or knowing of Jesus Christ. And that knowledge word doesn't mean a general knowledge. I, I, can, I can learn knowledge about my cell phone. It means a very real and personal knowledge of God, knowing him personally. A firsthand recognition. He is who he says he is, and I know that now. That kind of knowledge. This knowledge in the original language says just that, firsthand recognition of knowing God. This completely matches that knowledge of that, your name being called by lot. Very personal. That kind of knowing, that kind of original knowing by being called by your name. It's how we came to faith. And it's very important to understand for the encouragement of these believers who are receiving this letter. And very encouraging for believers today. Having connected them by divine faith and a personal knowledge of God through the righteousness of Christ. Not through Peter, not through anything else, but through the righteousness of Christ. Peter then points these believers to something else divine, and that's the divine power. You see that in verse 3, if you join me there. He connects this power being available to believers. It's available how? Through the personal knowing of God and His Son. He reminds them that his power, God's power, has granted us everything 
has given us everything or all things that pertain to or that are required for life and godliness through knowing him. Him who called us by his own glory and goodness. It's important to catch a couple items in that portion of the scripture. One, the only divine power is his. Period. There is no other divine power. Secondly, divine power has given us all things required to live the remaining physical life we have in conjunction with the spiritual life we now have. He, he's giving us and he's promising in his very great and precious promise, which is this, one, this is one of them, that we're going to have what we need. It's available to us to live out the remaining of our redeemed life in a way that glorifies God. Does this always seem to work out in the moment? Does this power always seem to be there every time you just need it? Do we, do we instantly realize, I need this power, it's automatically there? No. We are designed to cry out. We're designed, as John 15, 5 would say, to vine and branch relationship. We're designed to say, I, the branch, have need of the vine and that which flows from the vine. And answers don't always come to fix the hard right away. But that's our design. And that power is available, and it is in him, and it comes from him. Thirdly, his divine power is provided, and this is key, according to his purpose. It's not our purpose that he provides his power. It's not what we think we might want or need at the time. It's not our convenience. It's not our assumptions. And it's certainly not what purposes we hear from the false teachings of this world. That's not what he's promising his power for. He's promising his power for us living our remaining physical life while in the process of being made holy as he is holy. That's where power is going to come in. When we're walking this walk with him out and we cross difficulties and we're determined that we're going to continue this process of being made holy as he is holy, we're going to find the power being made available to us to help us in areas of what we have need of. Notice verse 3 continuing. He calls us by his own glory and goodness or excellence. Some of your versions will have the word too. He calls us by, he calls us to. Yes, it is both. It is his own glory and goodness or his own glory and excellence that he calls us by and his own glory and excellence that he calls us to. Either way, we're responding to him. We're responding. We're responders. We've all been taught that before. When Peter and these other believers and we today get, get called by God, just as God revealed himself originally to us at salvation and every day afterwards when he may impress upon us by his Holy Spirit, it is by his own glory and goodness. It's always going to be that because that is God. Does that make sense? That, that is him. It's going to be his glory and goodness that, that we're going to be hearing from. Understanding this divine power is directly related to our humbly understanding our salvation and what he's designed for us 
in his own glory. I've pulled up Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 to further elaborate this point. It says, therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I'm sorry, the light's blind, we let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. With this, with this faith, this divine faith, and with this enabling divine power, he has inserted believers into this process of authoring your faith, and he has each one of us in the process on the way to finishing our faith. We're all still living and breathing. If you're a believer, you're somewhere in that, you're somewhere in that timeline, that in-between. He authored, just like we said at the first, he was reminding those other believers, your faith was authored. And at some point in time, your faith will be completed. Notice, Peter doesn't attribute the being called in verse 3 to anyone else's goodness. There is no other plan B for goodness. It's God's, through the righteousness of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, when it pertains to a holy God. There is no other plan B. These believers today, believers today had problems just like believers then did. They had struggles. They had a variety of life difficulties. James tells us that those variety of trials are going to come. They were no different. Peter's reminding them and God's reminding us today. His power is available for accomplishing his purpose. Our focus needs to remain steady on what his purpose is. What he's already said he's going to be doing. We should strongly encourage one another in this. Because it's easy when the trials come in your life that trial is all you ever see. It becomes the fixation. And that scripture tells us we're to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. Well, we need help one another doing that. Because it is real easy to get pulled down by the things of this world. Very easy and very common. Thirdly, we've got to stay fixed on the per personal author and perfecter of our faith. God wants us to start realizing, seeing from our problems, seeing our problems from His eyes. If, if, and if we carry out our design, we'll start the process of, in the midst of dealing with problem, we'll say, Lord, help me to see from author and finisher point of view where I'm at right here on the dotted line. On the timeline, help me to see from author and finisher point of view so that problem doesn't become the dominant item. God's word, what God has said over it becomes dominant and problem fits within it or underneath it. We ask his help. That's how that happens. That's where we find that power of God, that divine power made available for us. We ask, we cry out for his help. How do we gain that insight? Well, Proverbs, Proverbs 2 tells us how you gain that kind of spiritual insight. Proverbs 2 tells you clearly, cry out for insight. You cry out for it. 
I'm not saying that as a simple answer. That process is never fun. But it's the way we're designed. We're crying out, making sure our hearts match his same purpose. And then we watch, we wait, we hope, and we expect his power is going to provide his answer and our solutions. We have to be cautious. We can't follow our fleshes tendency to want our problems all solved quick and easy we are in the microwave generation we we can't follow our flesh's desire to have every answer solved and make everything easy and comfortable and then let the problem dictate well what is that saying to our faith or to our savior or his finished work it's supposed to be the opposite our, his, our faith and his finished work speak to our problem, not the problem speaking to our faith and finished work. Does that make sense? That's what we're designed to do. We realize his power and understand deeper. As we realize his power, we understand deeper his purpose. And the difficulties take on proper perspective. God allows a variety of challenges as I said in James 1, it's promised. It's strange to think, though, isn't it? Very great and precious promises. I'm promising you're going to have trials. That doesn't seem very great and precious, does it? Not when you're looking from our eyes. But how do we see these mean very great and precious even when there's a trial coming? Ask him to help give us sight. Help us to see how he's seeing the trial. These believers and we need to remember we're still in between. We've been authored, but we're not finished yet in our faith, in walking out this life on earth. We're in the process of being made holy by a holy God. We should strongly encourage each other to do that crying out. And we should cry out with one another to help each other through these difficulties. Again, the power is not designed for our whims this divine power that he's talking about it's not designed for our personal desires to be accomplished we've got to guard against these we've spoken about a divine faith and divine power and i want to share with you about his divine nature verse four by these these are his own glory and goodness he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature his own glory and goodness not only called us to himself he's also provided something else toward the purpose of accomplishing his intentions he's given us very great and precious promises he's given us what we know as his word notice the descriptor words that are in there very great Precious promises, those types of words are there for a reason. And then the purpose is also included, why those words are there. That So that you may share in the divine nature, share in, be partakers in the divine nature. He's given us the opportunity to be partakers in a divine nature. He's provided us faith in God. He's provided us the power of God. He's provided the word of God. He provides the spirit of God so that we can be restored to the likeness of God. That's what he's doing. So we have to watch our motives and our flesh. What are our prayers for? What am I asking for? Is it in conjunction with something where I know his power is going to be 
made available. That's how we check our flesh. That's how we check our prayers and make sure that, that our hearts are right. He's made an avenue available to us so that we can be partakers of his divine nature. John 17, 17 tells this word is going to be aimed right at us to make this happen. And just like he said, by his very great and precious promises, so that through them, he's going to be using this, what we know as a sword, right? It's also referred to as a double-edged sword. As he carves away on us using his word, these same words you find in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. That's the tool he's going to be carving away, shaping us with. And if this is true, and it is, he has provided his word for this purpose. So we'll be enabled, we will be enabled or empowered to fend off this false teaching. They will be, we will be. We'll be enabled to walk in freedom. They had struggles with walking in freedom of many forms, spiritually. So will we. His, he will enable us to grow in a deeper relationship with him. And grow in our being made holy process, which we are in. What's the expected response of Peter's readers then? What's our expected response now? When, when we are made aware that we are allowed to be partakers of a divine nature, what's the natural response that should be? Wow. Wow. It should scare us that we're not saying, wow. <laughs> it should scare us. It should immediately make us say, why am I not overwhelmed that I'm allowed to be a partaker of divine nature? That, that is humbling. What should our response be? God, help me to want to absorb this word because this word's going to help me in partaking of your divine nature. Help me to learn this. Help me to understand you and this word better. Our hearts should be concerned if and when any time we're not expressing a desire to grow in this divine nature. That's a red flag for us in a spiritual walk. If my heart is growing cold, let me set this in place now, God. Please remind me that I'm to be hungering for your divine nature. And I'm going to know of that because of knowing and growing in your word. It it beats down the old mentality that we've all been taught of. Got to do your quiet time. Got to do your quiet time. No, no, no. We're missing the point here. This is how you're going to partake of a divine nature. This is big. That's what word is for. That's what time with God is for. This is how you're going to really know him. But you still need to do your quiet time. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> do your quiet That's what it's for. It's just to understand a bigger picture. As we allow his word to bring us through that authored to finished process, we'll realize more and more of his divine nature in very real and personal ways. You'll become knowing him as your personal provider. You will know him as the God who strengthens me. You will know him as the, the, the God of how, how you learn him. That's how you're going to know him. And we'll become more in likeness with him. When we're not participating in this process with him, our flesh is back in control. 
and we're stunning our growth as believers. We, we are either, as this verse says, we are either escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires, or we're allowing it to back in control of us. There's no sitting on the fence. You're either sliding backwards on a scale, or you're moving forward. Now, he intends, and he's told us in his word, very great and precious promise, he intends on making us new creations. You can know that. That's what he's after for you as a believer. He's, he, he does not intend on leaving us where we were, the beginning authors were lost before we knew we were going to be authors, and he does not intend on leaving us where we are now, spiritually. He intends on continuing taking us down that road towards finish on this earth. We're just like Peter. At some point in time, Peter was first called when God made himself known to, who, to him personally. And just as with us, it was never for simple introductory reasons. It was never. He called us to himself and to his own nature. And he's calling us deeper, deeper into his nature. His divine nature is marked by his divine attributes. To have a divine nature is to possess all of the attributes that make God who he is. Now, theologians have provided me the opportunity to tell you a little bit about attributes. I don't, I'm not making this up on my own, trust me. The, there are attributes of God are divided into two categories largely, communicable and incommunicable. Now, bear with me as I just read this for you. Communicable attributes of God are those that humans can also possess although to a limited extent. If something is communicable, it's able to be communicated or transmitted to others. Those attributes that are incommunicable of God, they're exclusive to Him. Humans cannot share the incommunicable attributes of divinity. We're finite, limited beings. Humans will not share in even the communicable attributes of God to the same extent that God has these attributes. For example, God is love. Well, we can love, but our love is not perfect. Our love is limited. We do so imperfectly. God is also just. Humans have a sense of justice and can carry out justice, but it too is done imperfectly. God is creator. Humans are creative. But we cannot create from nothing. Some of the other communicable attributes of God are grace and mercy and goodness and truthfulness, on and on. As we grow in Christ and are transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, we share God's communicable attributes more and more in a very real and personal sense. When we're saved by His grace through faith, we become new. Yet we also still battle against our sinful nature. And we must learn how to put off the old self and put on the new. Ephesians, and John tells us it's abiding in Christ that we're going to be bearing fruit. It's through the filling of the Holy Spirit that we can exhibit characteristics like love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, self-control. It's when we're in Christ 
that our love more closely resembles the love we're supposed to be is less tainted by our sinfulness. It's also important to understand that we'll, we'll never be fully like God. God is distinct from us. He's set apart. That's what holy means, as He is holy. Yet we are made in His image and redeemed by His Son. We are called to be holy, as He is holy. Yet know that only He is completely holy. Any holiness of our own comes from Him. Peter's reminding these believers, delve deeper into his nature and attributes. That's going to require another set of sermons. I'll leave that with you. However, then and now, he's reminding us, this is an indescribable opportunity to be a partaker in the divine nature. This drives us. This helps us to either realize, why am I not hungering for divine nature? Red flag. Or cry out, God, help me to hunger for your divine nature. Give me that. And those kinds of prayers is exactly where you're going to find the power of God. That's where you're going to find it because it's perfectly in conjunction with his will and purpose. Peter has now reminded, as far as we are in the scripture, he's reminded these believers regarding their faith, the author and perfecter of their faith, the divine power available to them for the accomplishment of God's purpose. He's reminded them of the amazing opportunity and the necessity of partaking in the divine nature. And that's where we get to our last point, a divine appointment. As I shared prior, God does not reveal himself to us nor did he to Peter and those other believers for mere introductory reasons. That's not his goal. He has provided us what he describes as very great and precious promises, the word of God. Within these promises, within this word, he further reveals why he scatters. He reveals what he's planning, what he's intending. He's revealed to us the end of where all this is going. He's revealed to us that we're going to have trials in between. He's revealed that he's authored our faith and he's working on perfecting our faith and all of the other things that we don't have time to talk about today that are in the Word. Which is also revealed to us we have a divine appointment. During the brief time that we're allotted on this earth, we're, we're provided the opportunity to partake of his nature. To partake of his nature is to partake in his purpose. He's revealed his nature, and he's revealed his purpose within that. He's not only making us new, he's in the process of making others new. As we partake of his nature, we learn his heart more. We understand his purpose deeper, and his desires become our own. Having been provided such a salvation, such a relationship with such a Savior, we now have a response. We have a responsibility for a response, and we have a privilege of a response as he's revealed his purpose. What are some of the scriptures which talk about that purpose? Well, here's, here's a few. And do not offer any parts of your body to sin as weapons of unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God 
and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons of righteousness. And I know my version I've written is different than that one. Bear with me. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We know that one. All power has been given to him. Go, therefore, make disciples of the nations, teaching them all that I've commanded you. That's part of his purpose. Romans 6.13. Now that, we covered that one. Next one, sorry. 2 Corinthians 14 through 20. I'm not going to read that whole thing. I'm going to highlight five items that are showing us and relate to our appointment. One, the love of Christ now compels us. Not our love, not our version of love, not just social justice love, not worldly version of love. The love of Christ now compels us. Divine nature. We should no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died and for us and was raised. Our life becomes taking on new purpose, new meaning, new motivation, lessening, lessening my need to have to hold on to what I think I have here. Opening to what he's providing, opportunities to what he's already doing. On a much larger scale than my lifetime timeline, we, in Christ, new creation, another item within that verse, we have been tasked and committed to the message of reconciliation. The message of God being reconciled to man and man being reconciled to God has been committed to us. And we are ambassadors for Christ. All those are summarized in that. Part of our divine appointment. Next, 2 Peter 9. I'm sorry, 2 Peter 2, 9 through 12. I'll, I'll hit one point in this scripture. I'm not going to read the whole thing. We are his people. We are his possessions for this purpose. So that we may proclaim the excellencies of the one who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's a divine appointment. And that starts with neighbors and goes to nations. But that's what we're to be doing. We're, we're to be proclaiming his excellencies. If we are those that he has called from darkness and authored faith in us and is in process of completing, we need to be proclaiming that one and all that he's doing in us. And Ephesians 5, 1, the last one, we're to be imitators of God. And we can't imitate him if we're not studying him and his nature. Partake of that word, allow him to reveal himself to us, and we imitate what we see. Have, We've all seen kids that emulate their parents, right? Kids will often imitate and emulate their parents. Why? Because they love them. They spend time with them. They copy them. That's what they're learning. They're being molded and shaped by that. They learn good and bad from us. Like, you know, they, they see our bad, too, and they hopefully will learn not to do those things. But, but it always it makes us feel well about ourselves that we're pleased that our children are wanting to imitate us well that's on a very limited form but you get the purpose of what he's saying we're to be imitators of this one who has so influenced our life and our faith we're to be carrying that out be imitators of him so peter was encouraging these believers 
this word now for us as we understand more of a divine appointment? Perhaps today, just as Peter was encouraging them and reminding them, maybe today we've been reminded anew. What are we here for? Maybe, maybe the salvation, maybe our Savior has landed afresh on us of what he's doing. Why that initial revelation of himself came in our lives. Or, or maybe, maybe we've not been plugged into the process that he intends for us as we need to be. Perhaps we need to realize we've been allowing way too much of the corruption and evil desires of the world to influence us and not enough of the author and perfecter of our lives and faith. Perhaps we need to realize we need to cry out to him and we haven't been crying out we need to. And we're going to, running to other sources for hope and help instead of the one who's divine. This time, it's just a time of response. We've talked about a divine faith talked about his divine power the ability to enjoy and his divine nature and his divine appointment that's where i got the title of what a salvation what a savior can we pray together let's pray lord we do praise you for who you are we thank you for the revelation of yourself to us Lord, may you humble our hearts as your people. May you find an appropriate response for all the truth you've laid out before us about yourself. Would you have your way in us? Would you have your way in this church? Would you be pleased? Would you be glorified? Would, our, would you help us that our motives and our intentions would be your own? That you would mold us to make ours what yours are. As we sing now today, Lord, whatever it is you have to say to us, would you find us responding appropriately? In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.